This is the GeoVersive Earth Intelligence Podcast. Hello, everybody, and thank you very much for joining us on GeoVersive's Earth Intelligence Podcast. We have given you the news of the day in the last episode, and it felt important to do that. And now again, we find ourselves talking about the importance of the news. Today, the science team of President-elect Joseph R. Biden, who by the time you listen to this may be president of the United States. But the science team's announcement was something remarkable by, first of all, his statement that his administration will be led by science in all places at all times. And he named Eric Lander, the head of the Human Genome Project, as his science advisor, which will be elevated with the approval of the Senate into a cabinet position. Francis Collins, will once again head the NIH, Alondra Nelson, Mary Zuber, Frances Arnold, who is the only woman ever to win the Nobel Prize for chemistry, the first American woman to ever do so. And so science seems to be at the forefront. We're going to talk about that and hope that stems from the announcements today by Joseph R. Biden that science will be important and that a planetary science Someone concerned with Earth and climate will be heading up one of the divisions and co-chairing part of that committee. Joe Robertson is the founder of Geoversive, Citizens Climate International Director and Lead Strategist for the Resilience Intel Climate Smart Finance Initiative. And Myra Jackson helped develop the UN 17 Sustainable Development Goals and is a diplomat of the biosphere. She remains a UN representative and focal point on climate change and she's an expert on harmony with nature. Welcome to both of you. Thank you, Don. It's great to be here. Indeed. You've got some good news that you've shared today. It does seem like good news, and uh, good news seems to give us hope. The question is, can we now, even in the midst of the turmoil we're facing, even in a divided nation, even with the threat of insurrection in the 50 state capitals of the nation and at the Capitol building in Washington, D.C., can we find hope in the announcements today? Is there climate hope out there? You know, Don, I, I find the process of selection of, of people who will be responsible for steering the actions of the U.S. government in areas related to climate change, to be itself a sign of hope, elevating the issue itself to the top of the national agenda, not in just one area, but in many areas. The most senior U.S. climate diplomat will be a member of the National Security Council, former Secretary of State, and effectively a leader on the world stage. The domestic policy team is not focused only on climate and energy, but on management of the interior science and innovation, the study of public health impacts from climate, justice issues. There is an effort to take the reins and recognize that this challenge is so big and so potentially devastating that it requires all of the elements of national leadership to help shape a better future. That itself is a first and it is a sign that we are now finally coming to grips with this problem. Myra, the question I have for you is Alondra Nelson's appointment as the head of science and society. There has never been a title like that in the United States government. Do you take hope in that? I do. I do. And, you know, Joe just mentioned 
this, the nature of the cabinet. And I, I just want to add, you know, including with this particular announcement where really, uh, we are looking at civil society. I think that it's really important. And you know that I've probably mentioned it in other episodes, listeners, that when we look at the planet itself and we look at its boundaries and we look at the science, The scientists generally agree that the biggest change that needs to occur is in the social dimension. It's what we're doing every day. And now we have a president coming in days to lead in a way that he has set up the cabinet to where they're directly in cabinet positions to bring their counsel to an unobstructed, of course, voice to the president's ear. This is important that we're looking at all these things in equal measure as we solve the crisis before us, because there's a convergence of crisis here. And we need to be able to work with a sense of all of the impacts of these crises on any decision that we're making. And there does seem to be some very deep thinking going on to move forward in real terms with this administration, and I am hopeful. One of the things that makes me hopeful is in the COVID Relief Act, signed by the president, Donald Trump, is an immense amount of information and work and money dedicated to the climate front, to renewable energies. Do you think that that will have an effect of changing the minds of some of those people who have been hard set against the science of climate change? I feel confident that that will have an effect on that type of opposition. Uh, A lot of the opposition to the science of climate change has come from people in the business community or in the investment community who think, erroneously, but who think that it's going to make it harder to make a living. It may be harder to make a living if you do things that are from the past and not relevant to the future and refuse to innovate. But national investment to incentivize the unleashing of private sector capital and innovation to build a clean economy is going to be the biggest investment opportunity that the United States has seen in decades, maybe in its history. People who have opposed climate action will suddenly stop saying that and they will chase that opportunity. It's not going to be magic. Not everybody is going to be on the right side of of history or the markets. Some people will refuse to recognize what's happening, just like some people refuse to recognize that smartphones could be cameras. But there is a change. It's already happening. We're starting to see private sector funds that focus on climate-friendly investments performing better than the market standard. And that's because the world needs this to happen. There is an irrefutable need that is being addressed, and it has so far been under-addressed. So that translates into opportunity. And I think this is only going to, this trend is only going to expand. Myra, one of the great hopes that I have is that there will be recognition on the part of the public that many of the solutions that we have been clamoring for are really off the shelf. They have already been developed. And a lot of it has to do with our rethinking about our relationship with nature, with agriculture, with waters. How do we treat them? Do you think that this forceful statement by Joseph R. Biden, that science will lead our thinking, 
will lead us to the conclusion that nature is science. Yes. Isn't that wonderful? I love the way you put that, honestly. That's worth repeating, by the way. What I see uh, emergent is that some of what's been going on in what we already know about climate change and where we are in terms of our status, when we look at the carbon budget, we realize there's chunky bits of science that have not been brought in. And this is where science now can be more bold and more forward with the models that they have around permafrost because permafrost melt is significant. And as we see more and more of that melt and more land fall away and methane released into the atmosphere, we're going to see extraordinary warming. And this warming is already impacting the Arctic. And ice melt is one of those feedback loops that we have to get a handle on. And now that we're able to think with science, we will see what Earth systems are communicating to us every day. And this will allow us to really hone in on doing things like proforestation rather than just reforestation, because reforestation doesn't get us the results that would occur if we preserve and conserve forest. Science allows us to see how nature operates and where its power is to regenerate and to help us draw down carbon from the atmosphere. So I am very hopeful that we can get into those conversations and that science can really step forward with the modeling that they've been hesitant to, to really move into the conversation so that we can see the picture more fully and that we can allow nature to speak to us about its own ways of restoring the environment. So we're there. We're getting right to that place where we can really begin to dance with nature as a collaborator in solving some of our challenges. Joe, I take hope from the point that has been made by a couple of different scientific surveys that have been now peer-reviewed, that there is a possibility that we can give hope to a generation of people who have lost hope that even if they do all the right things, that even if we reach carbon zero, that we are still doomed to continuous climate change and heating of the planet for 200 years, the new reports say that's not true, that if we get to zero, we can possibly stave off the worst effects of climate change. There had been a lot of frustration and a lot of angst on the part of people saying, what's the best we can do? Even the best we can do will only secure a terrible future for us, which leads incredibly to a complete lack of action and checking out. The hope is this is good news that may spur those people who were intransigent in the past to say, no, I'm going to do my part. Yeah, you know, Don, that's a really important uh, point that you're raising. The First of all, the fact that the same science can tell us different stories. Uh, some people can interpret science about the gravity of compounding atmospheric warming effects and say that there's no hope. I understand why people have felt that way. And it's a really positive thing that we have new studies showing that uh, atmospheric concentrations can restabilize potentially faster than we had thought. But I take my, my approach to both of those scenarios is the same, which is 
even if it were true that we cannot unbake what's baked in and it's going to get worse, even if that were true, it still says we have to act as quickly and comprehensively as possible to stop making this worse. Because the worse it gets, the harder it's going to be to have any of the things that human beings are accustomed to thinking we are supposed to have on earth. All of human civilization that we know of, that is part of the historic period, going back to ancient civilizations that we study as kids, has had agriculture. And agriculture is going to get harder and harder to sustain in any of the traditional ways that we know how to do it, in any of the conventional ways that we know how to do it. That's going to have to change. We need to innovate very quickly in order to make agriculture sustainable in a climate-stressed world, whether the worst is baked in or whether we can restabilize atmospheric concentrations of climate heating gases. That mindset, starting from the mindset that we must act, that we have to use all the knowledge we have, that we have to innovate quickly together, to me, that brings us back again to what happens when you put a national team in place that has begun to recognize that all of the elements of national public service have to serve well in this area. And it, it points to solidarity as a national priority. We have a duty to, to each other to make sure we're not making it worse. We have a duty to future generations to make sure we're not making it worse. And that test, the solidarity test, I think, is what holds a society together. If we are able to, to show that we're serious about reducing the threat of future climate change, stopping climate heating emissions, and getting ourselves to a sustainable economy, what we're also going to be showing is that we value each other. We value each other's right to live free from fear and free from devastation, that we value each other's health and security. That shows everyone in that picture that they're part of of something. They're part of a society that welcomes them and where they belong. That kind of thing has to be part of our overall climate response. And it's part of why I think it's so important that there is a science and society team within the Office of Science and Technology Policy. We want to make sure that the things we're doing are good for people. Myra, I'm going to address my next hope to you, and I hope that you will not take offense that I'm going to bring this subject up with you because I don't do it because you're a woman. I do it because you are our partner, which is a good word to use in the announcement by Joseph Biden that for the OSTP, the team is made up primarily of women. As a father of three daughters, let me say that I am beside myself with joy that the recognition and the prominence of women in science in these particular fields is far more important than first blush, that it will have a lasting effect on young women, on young girls who see, I can be a leader like that. Well, <laughs> yeah, thank you for, you know, for easing into that one in that way, because actually you just revealed something that's really just quite important, and that is your own, um, your own joy around this development. And, and, well, you know, what I, what I really take from this, having, you know, come through STEM programs and, uh, you know, just on my own, um, my own 
results in learning, you know, as an and as an engineer, which feels like really many lifetimes ago, I have to be honest. I I too am really happy when I see the makeup of what is this cabinet and, and the advisory positions that have been taken by this administration, but really more so uh, as we move toward this whole thing that Joe has brought up around solidarity, which in essence is really community. And one of the, uh, you know, I think that the surprises that's ahead of us is that not only when we turn our attention to the restoration work and take on nature as a collaborator, that we can begin to close the gap between the haves and the have-nots. And that's really important at this moment in our t- and, and at this time when technology and the prowess of technology is moving ahead to displace more workers in the workplace. We have, as I say, many, many uh, crisis at the same time. And to have women uh, aboard is one of the ways that we can ensure some of the attention is around relationships, is around what families need uh, and, and the relationships and the intersections between the, our work lives, education, uh, housing, and all those elements that are a part of society. Uh, there's, there's big work ahead. And uh, I think women help the bearing go in a direction toward more life. So I'm celebrating that. Me too. Now, Joe, this question goes to uh, finances. Although the economic advisors have not been in place yet, do you think that because of the impetus that Joe Biden is placing on climate change and on science, that there will be more momentum behind the idea that corporations will be brought into the White House and told, if you don't make these changes, you are guaranteeing your doom. If you don't make changes relative to the acknowledgement of climate change, you are not going to be, as a business, sustainable. Yes, I do think that that is part of where we're going as a society. Uh, I think our economic future depends on those kind of conversations happening. I don't think they'll happen only in the White House. I think what's important to recognize is this underlying responsibility that not just people who care about solidarity have to each other, but corporations, whether they're privately held or publicly traded, have responsibilities to society. They are licensed legal entities that have legal responsibilities. You know, the the current administration has just, the the outgoing administration has just uh, put forward a rule that suggests that banks cannot stop lending to companies simply because of the industry that they are in. I think that's kind of a toothless, ham-fisted attempt to take us backwards because the reality is those entities are going to stop getting credit because they cannot earn money responsibly because they are in fact violating the public trust in some way, or maybe they actually can't afford the business model that they have required all of society to bear the burden of for so long. Those corporate decisions about being a cleaner company, being a science-driven company, being a company that innovates towards reducing environmental harm, 
reducing pollution that harms human health, uh, those imperatives, whether people recognize them or not, are the new standard. The old status quo that says those things are niche concerns, that is no longer the status quo. We are already in the new economy where you have to have a handle on that clean future or your future will go away. And I frankly think the Federal Reserve, the Treasury Department, major banks are already signaling to private investors that they need to recognize this or it's going to be harder for them to do business. Thank you very much, both of you, for um, dealing with this issue of hope today. And it feels good just even to say the word hope in the times that we are in. We're hopeful today. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. But thank you both for being with me. Thank you, Don, and thank you, everyone, for joining us. I think this time we're about to move into is a time where we do big things together. Yes, and share what you're thinking. We need to hear from you more. And you can do that on earthintel.org. Go to the website and let us know what you're thinking. And share whether you believe this is a podcast worth listening to with your social network. Let people know we're here. We're talking. We're bringing you information that you might be able to use and to put into your own thinking. This has been Geoversity's Earth Intelligence. I'm Don Shelby. Thank you very much for joining us.